This sermon is brought to you by Shofar Christian Church. We hope that you will be blessed by this message. Our audio and video sermons are also available on Shofar TV to download and share. Um, we, um, I'm, I must say, and I have to confess that this evening's sermon, I have no clue how we're going to do it. But uh, Pastor George is going to post on the group, or hopefully he's already posted on the group because I saw in his eyes that he forgot. Um, just the slides. Oh, I, I'm trusting it's not going to be like a lecture, but sometimes you have to like sort of just stop the bus, and I really feel it's more an obedience to God. Um, because of the times we're moving in and the challenges that we are facing, I think all of you um, and us being under the age of uh, 23 included, yeah, um, we're bombarded with a lot of information and these. You know, one of the things that the Bible talks about is that Satan himself will um, sort of disguise himself as an angel of light and an angel of darkness. So, so uh, sort of seeing through this time what is truth and um, what, how, do I, how do I know? How am I not going to get deceived as a Christian? And um, so I've spent a lot of time on these slides, but there's a lot that you can go and work through at home, scriptures, all of that stuff. I've sort of brought it down from, I think, 35 slides to about 12 or 13. So I'm going to just touch on some of them and mention some of them. The rest is homework for you, if that's cool. Otherwise, it's going to feel a bit like a lecture. But we, we need to delve into Scripture, and we need discernment more than ever. Uh, I think the most, uh, the question I've heard the most of people in the church over the last 15, 20 years, I've been a pastor for 22 years, um, is like, how do I hear the voice of God? How do I know that this is from God, you know? Um, and especially with being bombarded with information and hundreds of WhatsApps and info and YouTube and sermons online and all of that stuff, uh, we shouldn't be afraid, but we must have discernment and we must have wisdom in the times that we're living. And, uh, and so that's what this is um, Talking about truth in John chapter 8, verse 30 to 32, the truth will set you free. That's what Jesus said. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Some people say will make you miserable, okay? <laughs> no, the truth will set you free. So our first encounter with God should be a truth encounter. We must know who God is when we worship Him. Even the concept of theology is to study God, to get to know God. When you read the Bible, you don't read the Bible to get knowledge. You get to read the Bible to know God, the, have a relationship with Him. And um, uh, the challenge with deception, deception is something, and that's one of the main ways how the devil would try to keep Christians out of following God is uh, to deceive, to see something else that looks just like the truth. Um, he started with that right at the beginning in Genesis with deception when he said, well, did God really say that you shouldn't eat of this tree? And, and are you not going to become like God? Just like with suggestion, deception. And so a deceived person never know that they are deceived. Uh, you don't join the deceived church 2021, okay? You, you, you don't know when you are actually deceived. And that's why God has built into the system of Christianity certain immune systems and certain ways of how we can uh, live not being afraid, but actually living in the truth and having a love for the truth. 
Are you with me tonight? Okay, so yesterday I had quite a funny moment. Uh, Pastor Eugene and I, we were praying there for somebody that was almost died a couple of times in the past uh, two or three weeks. And so as we're praying there and, and we're on his, you know, we're standing next to his bed. It's an older, older guy. Uh, this cat comes up onto the bed, you know. It's quite a funny moment, but it wasn't that funny at the moment. But, um, and so the cat comes and sort of like, you know, I'm, and I'm not a catty person because I'm allergic to cats. So I wanted to go and sneeze first, but then the, the cat sort of rubs itself on me. Now it's my moment to pray. And so, so I'm starting to pray and I'm ready to have this faith prayer. And um, as I do that, now everyone's eyes are closed in this prayer. And the next moment, this cat attacks me, you know. So you can see the marks on my hands, you know, because then the cat went for me, you know. So now I'm in the middle of the prayer, and I'm having a cat hanging from my hand, you know. And so I'm trying to shake off the cat. Well, all these people are very spiritual, except, you, you know, Eugene was also very spiritual as he's praying. So now I'm trying to shake off the cat while I have this major faith prayer. Now the window is open. It's on the third floor. So I'm thinking, like, maybe I should just release this cat into eternity cat heaven, you know. But um, eventually I shook off the cat, you know, and um, continued the prayer. But it was quite a funny moment because I'm deeply spiritual and now I have all these stuff of cats. So I just forgive the cat world for, I don't know if cats can have demons. But in any case, uh, I, that, that cat attacked me. So I know now that I'm, I'm in the truth that I don't like cats. Sorry. Sorry for the cat worshippers. But in any case, so... So if we love the truth, you know, I'm just telling that because some of you are tense. Normally when you speak about truth and lies and deception, everyone wants to get afraid. And it's not, it's not, this sermon is not to make you afraid. This sermon is to make you excited. When you do stuff God's way, you're not going to get deceived. And that's why we belong to a church. That's why we sort of engage with the truth so that when the false comes, you will immediately know. So... One rule, when you, when you want to know the truth, study the true, don't study the false. Okay, so I had a, a guy, um, if I have a 20 rand note here, anybody wants a 20 rand? Okay, that hand went up first, Jürgens. Okay, but no, no, you can't get it now. I'm not saying you can get it, I just said your hand went up first. But in any case, so, um, so if, you, if, you, if this 20 rand uh, the police will tell you that if, and I actually spoke to a guy in the forensics a couple of years ago, and he said something that was so profound. He said to me, what they do in the forensic department of the police is they don't study the false stuff. They just make sure that they know the real one. So that whatever different type of 20 rand note comes across their desk, they immediately know the false because they know the real one. So the golden rule is study God. Get to know the things of God, and then you're not going to get deceived. Are, are you with me? So don't be reactionary because otherwise you're always going to run against whatever comes out there. But you also need an immune system. Okay, so study God. Study the power of God. Don't look just at the false because I've, I've been... In places in India, in halls like this, where people would levitate and they would hang on to the, they would actually, without touching anything, hang on in the air, they're in the corner of the room, 
20 meters above. I've, I've seen stuff that is not from the Lord. Um, so you can get very scared by when you talk about these stories and the demons and all this stuff. But we love the truth. So that's where we start, loving the truth. We love the truth. We obey the truth. We display the truth in our lives. We manifest the truth in our life through love. We speak it in love. And we live in the light. So if you have uh, registered for this service, then you will have all these slides on the info group. If you have forgotten to register, repent and get it from somebody. No, no, I'm joking. Just get it from somebody else. Because all these scriptures, are, I'm not going to go into all of them, but we must have a relationship with the truth. And how does, what does it look like? This is what William Barclay says. Christian truth is not a matter of knowledge, opinion, argument, or debate. Because people normally think in terms of truth as knowledge. I must know more than I'm going to know the truth. But he says it so beautifully. He says, Christian truth is a moral truth. It is not something to be studied, but something that needs to be done. Not only submit your mind to it, but your whole life. It is the affair of life. It ultimately lies in a relationship with Jesus. Jesus is truth. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So truth is not knowledge. Truth is not relative to your perception. Truth is absolute, absolute and it doesn't change. The whole world wants to change the definition of marriage. The whole world wants to change the gospel. There's so many people that want to change the truth, but you can't because it's absolute and it will remain. Societies will fall, the Greeks, the Romans, so many empires, the Persian empires, they've come and they've gone. But there's one truth that has remained, and that is the fullness of Christ, Jesus Christ himself. And that's why he could make this profound statement. He doesn't say, hey, I'm going to give you 10 steps to the truth. I'm going to give you like the logbook. I'm going to give you my personal diary so that you can get to know the 10 facts of truth. He says, no, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So to get to God, you need to know the person of Jesus. You need to be in love with him. He is truth. He is life. And he is the way. He doesn't point to the truth or point to the way or say, hey, these are the 10 steps of life. It's in a relationship. So probably if this is the only thing you remember of the whole night is, hey, I need to have a relationship with Christ himself, with Jesus. And there through him, I can go to the Father. Can say, somebody say amen? I'm going to get excited. No, no. Okay, so Jesus is the truth. And we have a relationship with him. That means like share everything every day about everything in your life with him. Be honest, be vulnerable, be truthful. Okay, so Jesus starts to probably, I'm just preparing you, it's going to get more difficult. It's just the sayings of Jesus, okay? Verse 15, then he says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you will know them. So now he begins to talk about this narrow road, but he says like, as a Christian, you need to be aware that there's going to be a lot of false things around you. He's not talking to the world out there. He's talking to the church. He says there's going to be a lot of false prophets and teachers and false, and, and, and they're like ravenous wolves, and they, they want to get you off that road. So as you're focusing, we're not afraid, but we need to be aware of that. 
And so he talks about this little concept of thistles and thorns. And what does he mean? There was actually a bush in that time that had these little flowers and it looked just like figs. You had to actually come very close to see that it was not figs. It was actually thorn bushes with little flowers in. So the, the example he uses there it sort of doesn't catch up with us. But he says, like, if you don't come close, you're not going to recognize the fruit. You actually need to come close into that situation to realize what is the fruit of these things that are happening around you? That's why you need to be very careful for things that you read and hear on the internet. Because that guy sits in America, you can't come close. You can come very close to the screen, y'all. You can have like screen time, and you can minister to your computer, and you can be up there in script, but you can't come close to that person to see what is the fruit of their lives. So there's so many things out there in the clouds, but you need to be very careful. You need to be sober. You need to be focused. Why? Because you don't know Stephen Furtick from Elevation Worship. You don't know him. You can't come close. You can't see because you don't have a relationship. And I'm not saying Stephen Furtick is wrong, so please don't get me you know, wrong here. I'm just saying, like, be careful if... Your mainstream of information or seeking the truth is from people that you cannot check the fruit. Because here Jesus says, like, hey, in the beginning he says, don't judge. But what he does say is judge by the fruit. So Christians can judge. And you're supposed to judge by the fruit. Are you with me? Okay, we're just picking speed up speed. Yeah, and a good tree cannot bear good fruit. Then he goes on. Whew, this is the toughest verse. Now, we, well now we're getting, we're just warming up. So Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. So he says, lots of people are even going to jump up. You know, I was there in Bangalore where there's a guy called Sai Baba. He, he says that he's Jesus reincarnate. So he actually tells people that he is Jesus. And the scriptures is clear that in the last days, those people will be around. People will actually say that they're the real Jesus. And so this Sai Baba actually heals people of their sickness. We, we were there. It's actually like physical healings. It's real healings. Because whatever God does, there's also a false. Go to Kaimandi and talk to the witch doctors. They actually, there's healing there. There's the supernatural. It's just in the Western Church and the Western culture, we don't actually believe in the supernatural. We believe in the intellect. But just talk any, to any culture that is more animistic from its culture, there's miracles every day. Hello? So here he says, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Here we see Jesus drawing a picture that in the last days, there were people that will be casting out demons in the name of Jesus. They will heal the sick. They will prophesy. They'll do signs and wonders. But then Jesus will say to him, sorry, I do not know you. That word for know is the word yada, which means of a deep intimacy, the same word that um, we would use in sexual intercourse between a husband and a wife. Same word that the Bible uses. He says, that is how you do not know me. And then he defines that knowing, that intimate relationship with him. He defines it as, and he says like, because you practice lawlessness, 
What does lawlessness mean? It's just somebody that takes the law into their own hands. They become their own truth. They become to interpret their own truth. There's no submission to God and there's no mutual submission to other people. So here we see people doing stuff in the name of Jesus, signs and wonders, but not, that doesn't mean it's from God. You know, we see in Africa a lot of prophets and apostles and these big people standing up and doing even miracles, but even that is not a guarantee that they're from the Lord. And you need to check out their fruit. You need to be clear to have your discernment levels up. Because God wants to do signs and wonders, and he is doing amazing signs and wonders, but not all signs and wonders are from him. That's another teaching on its own, because Romans 13 says that the gifts and the callings of God are irrevocable, meaning that once God gives you a gift, you can turn your back on Jesus and still operate in those gifts. Because God's gifts are not conditional. It's unconditional. The same with his love. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm speaking a bit of deeper stuff tonight, so hang on there. Just go like this. Go like this. You've just fastened your seatbelt, okay. Okay, are you also with me? Wave at me if you're with me, wave at me with you, okay? So we're a bit teaching more, and I'm not going to go into all of this stuff, but I want to give you the background. So, so how can we judge? How is it important that we judge? We're not judging Ian's hot motivation. I can't judge that. I can't say whether Ian is saved or not. I can't do that, because that's between him and the Lord, I, I, I can't do that. I, I can't stand there and judge other churches or whatever. But what I can do is I can judge by the fruit of that life. And so I need to look at the methods the person used, the, the marriage, the relationships, the ministry, money issues, the mood, meaning what, with what attitude do they do that? The message they bring, very important. What are the message? What are the doctrines they hang on? These are just some M words, okay? We can judge by, and it's important that you look. It's important that you don't just rush in because lots of Christians say, like, they walk up to you and say, hey, Voldo, read this book. But you can't just read a book. If it's a Bible, read it, you know. Go for it. Consume it. Eat it. Drink it. Use it. Yeah. <laughs> but there are so many books. The fact that somebody's written a book doesn't mean that it's necessarily from the Lord. Come on. These days, you can go to the Christian bookshops and... Just take books from the shelf and find a scripture in that book and win a Bible, you know? But it's like people write these chapters and they put a scripture on top to sort of like confirm what their opinion is of scripture. And that's why we, we, need, to, we need to dig into it because we need to study it. Now, here's a couple of things, a couple of questions you can ask. And this is going to blow some of your minds too quickly. It's on the slides and if you don't know it, send it to the person next to you. Some questions you can ask, okay? Does the person or the ministry bear fruit over time? Fruit is not grown overnight. There's no mushrooming in the kingdom of God. Is the person, the ministry, accountable themselves? Is, does the person belong to a local church? Do they love the body of Christ? Or do they always slander or divide? Meaning they're sitting outside of the church. So for me, this is one of the big things. Do they love the church? Do they love the body of Christ? Are they committed themselves to serve in a local church? Even when it's a big ministry, somebody like Angus Bucken, I was there, the Uncle Angus Bucken, I was there last week. It's so beautiful. He goes to the church that he started, that he handed over to a pastor, and he calls that guy who's 30 years younger than him, pastor, you know, and he sort of submits to him and the eldership of that church. And here's a man that has got 
the massive ministry in South Africa, but he believes and he loves the local church. Every Sunday, he's in church. Why? Because he's accountable. Is the person ministry teachable? Who? Are they humble to grow? Is there this arrogance and this pride of, yeah, I've arrived, you know? Do they claim to know the ultimate truth? They've arrived, meaning like, this is it, you know? Is, is this the thing, you know? Then another question, do they highlight one doctrine, experience, or a cult personality above the gospel? So some people just talk about grace. Some people just talk about prosperity. Some people go into the Jewish root systems. There's lots of stuff, but then they highlight this one thing, and they don't sort of teach people to live in the counsel of God. Are, are you with me still? Okay. Question number seven. Is Jesus the center? Is the word the center? Or is the whole ministry built in reaction to something? Oh, I need to warn you, you know? That's why I don't like this American gospel thing because it's just a bunch of reformed people that bash the charismatic church. <laughs> they know what they're against, but they don't know what they're for. We've studied the 20 rand. We know. So if you say that is false, then I want to know if you are practicing the real thing in your life. Do you have people that can show you the elephant in your own room? <laughs> you know, that's a question maybe for you, but for me. Do you trust people that cover your blind spot? Then is this ministry or this person motivated by love? And do they have the fear of God in their lives? I'm just running through some of them, but, but it's so important. Maybe you think like, yo, but I'm, I'm just a young believer. But this, this is to build up your immune system. To have a Christian awareness that, hey, we're living in the last days. Deception is rampant. But God is busy moving, and it is so important that you ask the right question. Scripture says that you need to test the spirits. You're not going to get an angel appearing to you and say, hey, don't, don't do that, don't do that. You need to actually exercise your spiritual muscles. Like you go to the gym, you need to exercise. You need to exercise prayer. It's like breathing. You need to, you know, if you lose the use of your muscles, then do you know what? It's two or three weeks, then you can't use it anymore. Then you sort of not, like need to learn how to do basic things. And that's why we need to grow in our spiritual discernment. Turn to your neighbor and say, hey, hey, I'm watching you. Okay, so tonight isn't like this motivational, encouraging talk, but some of you will thank me five years from now. Okay, so the second thing that he's talking about is it says, beware of false prophets and false teachers. I'm not going to go into all of this, but the notes are there. There are different false prophets, false teachers that the Bible talks about and their motivation. There are people that uh, preach heresy, meaning they deny the fundamental truth. There are churches in this town that deny that Jesus was born of a virgin, that he rose from the dead. Those are fundamentals. They, that's heresy. There are the charlatans. They're just people that are there for their own gain, for themselves. They are false prophets. They come, come into a town and say, hey, this is God's new revelation. God is going to do something new, you know. The church doesn't exist anymore. We've, we've come to a new flavor. Then there's people that abuse, manipulate, use others. There are people that divide the church because they major on small things, little things. There are the speculators. They, they have these novelties. It's like, wow, let's, let's go into these different doctrines. There are compromises. They, they just tell you what will tickle your ears. Scripture says that. They'll just preach what you want to hear because they want crowds. 
Then there's the hireling. They don't love people. They're not motivated by love. And then the wolf in sheep's clothing that we heard of. So there's a lot of different types of people that would try to want to deceive you and try to want to deceive us as the church of Jesus Christ. Okay? So that's some of the false prophets. Then we go on to some of the false teachers or some of the false teachings. People that have self-interest, gain, prestige, own ideas is promoted by that prophet or teacher. It produces a religion which consists of observance of externals. It produces the law. You shall not. It's always rules and regulations. It promotes a feel-good or an easy religion, just like, hey, Jesus loves you, you know? Never talks about repentance. Never talks about hell. It separates religion from life, so meaning like it's out there, church is out there somewhere. Uh, it separates people. Apartheid started from this town through doctrines out of the theology department. Say some people are better than others. Some people can get saved and some people can't get saved. It doesn't produce an obedient lifestyle. And the gospel and the cross is not the center of their message, but doctrines or even experiences. Now, for some of you, you may think like, ah, you know, this doesn't apply to me at all. You're going to use these notes some other time. Okay, so, so here we go. John 16, verse 13, and this is sort of more what we want to get to. Jesus said this beautiful thing. He says, when the spirit of truth has come, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. You know, when I was, um, got saved at school, we were discipled for like a year, and then our teacher, the guy who discipled us, he actually studied in Wellington at the Huguenot College, and he would um, live in the res with us, this bunch of schoolboys. And, um, and after a year, he actually had to move to Wellington. And he would drive through every evening, every Tuesday, every Thursday, and he would just stand there at the, outside the residence, and even when it was raining, stand with the Bible and little umbrella, and then he would teach us, and he would tell us these testimonies. And it was just amazing. So for two years... We were just discipled in the word and just heard so many testimonies. He was like radical for Jesus. And, um, and after two years, he went to France and we never connected again. But after two years now, we're this bunch of young people. We are zealous for God. We saw a revival of 270 people in the school turning to Christ within two weeks. And so myself and three other guys, we were sort of the leaders of this thing. And we were like clueless, you know, we, we, uh, we just follow Jesus. We are passionate, you know, and so never lose your passion, never lose your hunger. But then what started to happen is like, we started to pray and say, God, we obviously know that now we need more teaching and we need more like, you know, we need to get into the stuff and into the truth. And so, so then suddenly this older man that knew scripture, he could quote scripture, any scripture. And we thought like, wow, because he can quote, quote scripture, he must be from the Lord, you know? And, um, and so the, I remember that first night when we had Bible study, we, we didn't know the guy. He just came and said, like, the Lord sent me, you know. And so, yeah, we're in this moment, and it's just so amazing. And, and so, but that first night when I walked out there, my friend was under, and so the two of us, my spirit was just like, ugh, something wasn't right. It was just like I had a spiritual witness because we were spirit-filled. We loved the Lord, and the Holy Spirit just like, there was this, um, you know, this ungemaklicate, you know, um, this, this, this um, uneasiness, you know, just like that first night, I'll never forget it. I couldn't sleep, you know, I was just like, 
And now I'm thinking like, no, but this guy can quote scripture. So obviously, like he's amazing. And so here comes the second, the Thursday, every uh, Tuesday and Thursday, we would have this Bible study and it was just amazing, you know. So, um, <clears throat> but then I walk out and I just felt like, oh, I felt so uneasy. I just couldn't drop it because there was like a spiritual witness, but my head wasn't connecting because I wasn't, I was thinking, no, no, man, just ignore that. Just ignore the witness, you know. And... Um, so then after a week, I told the other two friends, look here, guys, we need to fast and pray uh, because some only go out with prayer and fasting. Um, and so here we're praying and fasting for two days, you know, on liquidized steak. You know, I had a friend that, that always said, oh, I'm fasting, I'm fasting. But all he did is he liquidized his food, you know. That's, that's not fasting, by the way. Yeah? <laughs> it's like when you fast of just using water and all that stuff. And, um, and so here we start to pray, and we said, okay, Lord, obviously we don't have a spiritual witness with this man that has come to teach us. Within two weeks, front of the newspaper, this guy is a pedophile, and he was caught out with pedophilia and was exposed. And therefore, the first time I realized, like, God is faithful even when we were clueless. And this spirit became real because the Holy Spirit, once you have a relationship with the Holy Spirit, one of the main things he does is the spirit of truth. He will lead you into all truth. Jesus went so far to say, like, he will be your main teacher. Yes, we have the office of the teacher and the prophet and the pastor and the apostle in church, but the Holy Spirit will lead you in truth. So when you stick close to the Holy Spirit, you're never going to get deceived. But you need to learn to be obedient, and that's what Jesus said. Remember, if you go back to that scripture in Matthew chapter 7, he goes to this and he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven, verse 21. So what is the key there? We can almost miss it. The key there is like many people are going to say, Lord, Lord, but they're not obedient to the will of God. So if this is the second thing that you learn from tonight, and you forget all the rest, is learn to be obedient. Learn, that, learn to say, God, I want to do your will. I want to be obedient. Even if I make mistakes, it's fine, but I want to follow Jesus. Because then you're going to stay out of deception because it's not like, hey, I'm trying to be obedient to Sears or to Shofar or to something. I need to be first obedient to God's call on my life. But whoever does the will of my Father, not say, hey, I love you, I love you, jump up and down, because Jesus measures your love and my love for him by whether we do his commandments, his will, whether we're obedient. Our lo his love language to us is saying that he loves you, <laughs> proving on the cross that he loves you. Our love language to God is different. It's obedience. Can I get an amen? Thank you, George. So don't say to God, oh, I love you, Jesus. Oh, 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 oh I'll kiss the floor for you. You know, oh, Jesus. Oh, he loves me. He loves me not. And then I dance around the drums at the night, and I just go like, oh, it's a, Lord, I'll even play this symbol for you. You know, and then we do all these things, and we like deep, deep, and Jesus is like, hey, that's great. But it's not an emotional thing. You love me if you do my will. How many of you want to do the will of God? 
Now, most of us, when we think that, we think like, I need a five-year plan, I need a 10-year plan, I need a 20-year plan. Jesus told me exactly, but obedience is a daily thing. It's a lifestyle. And that's why God only takes you as far as your last step of obedience. So don't be worried about, oh, 10 years from now, I'm so afraid that I'm going to miss God's will. No, no, just be obedient right where you are now. So God maybe placed you in the arena. That's where you need to be obedient. That's where you need to do the things that Christians do. Pray in the arena. Fast for the arena. Evangelize in the arena. Disciple the people in your small group and in the arena. Why? Because that's what Jesus said to do. That's his will. Give thanks to God. That's the will of God. You know? So being obedient to God is not that difficult. It's not like a map of the 20-year plan of your deep calling and how many times you're going to drink tea with the Michael the Archangel. <laughs> that may happen, but you know what? Obedience is your, your response to God's sacrifice in his life. And so obedience will sometimes cost you something because he's going to say, hey, go and pray for that guy. And then everything inside of you is going to say like, no, 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 no. No, 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 no. You know, Jesus, I'm an introvert, you know. Uh, uh, Christianity is a personal thing. <laughs> and then Jesus says, no, 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 no. Now, my mother-in-law, she was supposed to die many years ago. Not because I don't like her. I love my mother-in-law, okay. But um, because she's got a quarter of a lung, okay. She's, um, she's, she's like... You know, she goes to the doctor, and then she looks at the prescription of the doctor, and she just asks the doctor, tell me what's wrong with me. And then when he's told, uh, then she takes the pills and flushes it down the drain and says, okay, at least now I know I can pray more effectively and ask God to heal me, you know, because I breathed through the Holy Spirit. So she was supposed to be dead 10 years ago. Um, <clears throat> but um, she's a lady of faith, and she's a lady of prayer. But she also, if you talk anything negative or fearful, she will tell you, stop, renounce that, speak life, you know. And um, she, so I, I remember the first time, I, I think I've told the story, the first time we went, after we got married, I went to visit the parents-in-law. And so we walk in there and she says, oh, you've been asking for five things from the Lord. But point number three is people not to commit in relationships. Because now you think like, yeah, you know. That person in church hurt me, so do you know what? I'm never going to commit again. And then you get isolated. Walk in the spirit, intimacy with God, cultivate humility and teachability. When you say, I've never arrived and we will never arrive, every day you can learn something. Every day you humble yourself because you say, hey, I'm going to get there, but I'm not perfect, but I need to grow. I've seen it so many times, people that are 80 or almost 90 years old, and they're so excited about God speaking to them, giving them a new mandate, you know? And I'm thinking like, yes. You know, two years ago, we baptized this great-grandfather and his wife, 89 years old and 90 years old. And I'm thinking like, yes, Lord, bring it on. You see, we create a life of obedience and purity, and we walk in the fear of God. So you've got some homework to go and check some of this stuff. These, these are just some basic things that Christians should do to live in that space. But the challenge is like, if you and I become isolated, if you and I think that we're an island on ourselves, you're, gonna, you're already deceived. 
So self-deception is probably the strongest deception that you can get when you think, I'm all right, I've arrived. Because out of self-deception flows pride and judgment of others. And you think, like, hey, my doctrine is, like, cool, you know? But you need to have a relationship with God today. You can't rely because you had some breakthrough three years ago or you knew God and you prayed for the sick and somebody got healed 10 years ago or 20 years. I call them the when we Christians. Oh, when we were so excited. You know, when I was a student, I was just as excited. But now I've grown into balance in my life. The real responsibilities of this life. Some people will call it the cares of this world, but I just call it responsibilities. And I think your problem is you've died in your heart towards God. You've become lukewarm. You've taken your eyes off God because, you know, the seed, the word says that the seed will be sown and some of it will fall on hard ground because our hearts are hardened. Some of it will be choked by the cares of this world, 25%. 25% on a hardened ground. 25% will be stolen from the birds in the air. The parable of the seed. And then there's 25% that falls into good ground. And that 25% produces 60, 90, and 100 fold. And I want to say, God, let my heart be a good seed bed for your word. That's why when I come to church, I actually come with a notebook and a pen and I want to learn because, hey, maybe that short man up there, you know, he's like this or that, but I could learn something. I could learn something from that nine-year-old. I want to grow. I never want to say that I've arrived or, yeah, yeah, just give me another sermon. Because self-deception, James chapter 1 verse 22 says, if you are a hearer of the word but not a doer, you are self-deceived. Because you think like, oh God, that is a good sermon for her. You know, if only Yehu could hear this sermon. I think I must actually send him the link, you know. Because, you know, the guy preaching is just an evangelist. He's not actually a theologian, you know. He didn't study 10 years in theology school. Right there, I'm deceived. Because I am not open to hear the word of God. Some of the most powerful sermons I've heard came out of nine-year-olds. I think I told you this story. I met a guy. He was a, a warlord, like a witch doctor warlord multiplied in PE. And so he said, he tells the story. He's a pastor today. He tells his testimony of how people would come around and he would like just speak stuff over pastors and he was just not afraid of any pastors, you know. Uh, any men of God, these mighty men of God, you know, that had all these titles. And then one day, I don't know if I can't remember, it was a pick and pay or whatever, he walked out of pick and pay onto the paving and a nine-year-old boy stood in front of him and pointed his finger at him. And he said to him, your type, I know. You are in darkness. And you need to repent. Because the fear of God is coming on you right now. A nine-year-old boy. He said he fell face forward. Poof. 
onto the paving in front of pick and pay and wept for two hours. God delivered all the, all the tomatoes that were running this way, all the other stuff was running that way. He never picked up the stuff, but there he got delivered because a nine-year-old understood how big his God was. My question is, how big is your God? Because suddenly when the demon comes to knock on the door, your theology doesn't work. It's your relationship with Christ. The seven sons of Sceva tried to cast out demons, and then they said, well, Paul we know and Jesus we know, but who are you in the Spirit? It's a bit of a tough subject. I'm just obedient because I know God is about, He's busy moving with the supernatural among us. Thank you for listening. Remember that our sermon audio and videos are also available on Shofar TV. Go to www.shofaronline.tv to download and share.